committed or being committed. The title sounds like a good name for a thriller movie or a horror movie, doesn't it? Committed. Uh, that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, we've been concentrating on Ephesians chapter, sorry, Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5. And I'm going to kind of bring it to an end of that series. Um, so we're going to read that passage and, and listen to the Lord. Um, I just want to encourage you this morning that the Lord is here. And let's just say, you speak to me, Lord, and give me the heart to obey. Otherwise, what happens when we hear regularly, week in, week out, Sunday after Sunday, the word of God becomes just another thing to do. It's just a religious thing to do. Um, it's, like, it's dangerous. The more we hear, the more accountable we are held by God. Because you know what Jesus said? The last days when I come, I will not judge you, but the words that I have spoken to you will judge you. So the more we hear, the more accountable we become. So I pray that we will have hearing hearts this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we pray and we ask you this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Give us the hearts that hears what you have to say. And give us hearts that yield to what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to concentrate on one particular verse, right? It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, right? This is how it goes. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God uh, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In the passage that we've just read, you will not find the word committed anywhere. No matter how hard you look, you will not find that word there. But it is there. It's not written, but it is there. Let's read verse 8. You would find commitment in there. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The author is saying that Jesus, God himself, when he found himself in a human form, when he became man and he became obedient to the will of Father, he became obedient to the point of death, not just death, to the Death on the cross. And that is commitment. The word commitment is not something that lots of people like. Recently, an, uh, an, a statistic came out in UK about marriage. 
Lots of women in UK no longer believe in marriage. They don't want to get married because of commitment. You cannot have commitment without a cost. You will not pay a cost if you don't count it. So we're going to go backwards this morning. Right? We're going to start with the count. If you go shopping or if you do anything, if it involves a cost, what would you do? Would you just go blindly and then just say, it doesn't matter how much, unless you're Bill Gates or the Queen, you could say, it doesn't matter how much it costs. But everyone else, the first question you would ask, what? What does it cost? When you step into a relationship, what do you do? What is it going to cost you? Someone said to me um, recently, um, because you guys know, you've been with us um, you, through our difficult times and hardship. As family, you know the trials that we go through. And one of my work colleagues said to me, I don't know how you do it. You're still sticking to it. Instead of being someone now walked out. And I said, 19 years ago when I stood in front of the altar, in front of the church, and when I said I do, I meant it. In sickness and death, in riches and wealth, for worse, till death do us part, I do. And if you don't mean it, then you're lying. And if you say it, and then you reconsider at some point, then you need to rethink about your commitment. Have you committed? Do you really, re do you really think that you counted the cost, what it's going to cost you? I'm not trying to say that, look, I'm great. No, that's what required all from all of us. When Jesus said to his father, okay, I'm going to go down. I'm going to die on that cross. And when he took the human form, he counted the cost. We do hear quite a lot about fake news nowadays, don't we? Quite a lot of fake news. Do you think, as Christians, we could be preaching fake gospel? Is it possible to preach fake gospel? Absolutely. There are lots of fake gospel out there. Do you want to find out what Jesus said about following him? And this is what Jesus said. Let's read Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to 38. It's in the New Testament, Mark chapter 8. Sorry, I'm still trying to get there. That's the problem when I haven't got my hands free. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to 38. This is what Jesus said. And they came, well, wrong chapter. Right. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my word is words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man be also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Just before I go to the course, let me just say one other thing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. There are lots of people out there, even some theologians, they believe that when Jesus came to earth, he did not think that he will die on the cross. It was an accidental death. They do teach this in some of the churches, that Jesus did not actually come to die. He didn't think that he was going to be crucified. It was an accidental death. No, it wasn't an accidental death. We see in this passage, Jesus clearly tells his disciples that he will be betrayed, that he will be persecuted, and he will be crucified, and that he will die, that he knew. And having known that, he set his mind to go to Jerusalem. And Peter turns around and says to Jesus, no, that will not happen to you. I will not let that happen to you. And what does Jesus do? He turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You are not stopping me. So Jesus counted the cost. He knew exactly what he was doing. Do we know what it cost for us to follow Christ? Do we really preach the true gospel before we get people to commit? This morning we did talk about commitment in regards to the church building. But what is the thing, one thing that Dave said? You go home. Pray about it. Think about it. Before you make the commitment, ask yourself, it's going to cost me something. Am I willing to accept that cost? Whatever that may be. And that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples or to anyone. He turned around and to the crowd and he said, if you want to come after me, first you must count what the cost is. Following Christ is not for wimps. It's not easy. Christianity is hard. It's going to cost you. If we tell the true gospel, how many people would actually decide to follow? Jesus never faked the news. Jesus never said, come after me, I'll make your life rosy. But if you turn on the telly today, if you go to lots of uh, places, they would tell you, Come to Jesus, your life will be all rosy, wonderful. He will fix all of your problems. He will give you financial freedom. He will give you all the health. He will give you all the wealth. Yes, he can give you all of that. What if he doesn't? I know uh, years back, about nearly 20 years ago, when I was back in Sri Lanka, when I was um, in charge of the Bible school where we were training the future leaders and there was one guy who joined the Bible school and he came to me. Probably I've told this story before. If I've said it before, please excuse me. And he said to me one day while he was talking, you know, and I'm praying that God will give me a motorbicycle, a motorbike. And I said, that's fine. What if, he got, what if God doesn't give you a motorbike? And he said, don't talk nonsense. And he said, God is capable of doing that. He rewards our faith. 
And I said, I'm not talking nonsense. The reason he wanted a motorbike is because in Sri Lanka at that time, 20 years ago, all the pastors had motorbikes because they can't afford to buy cars. So they all had motorbikes to get around. So he wanted one of them. So I said, what if God doesn't give you a motorbike? And he said, you're talking unbelief. He said, do not just interrupt my faith. You're just obstructing my faith. I have the faith that God will give me a motorbike. And I said, I don't doubt for a minute that God is God's ability to give you a motorbike. But all I'm saying is, what if he chooses not to give you one? And he wanted to never answer that question. And he left. So, dear brothers and sisters, when it comes to commitment, it's not whether God is able to do it. The question is, what if he chooses not to do it? Will we still remain committed? It's not just with God. It's with our relationship with each other. And in your marriage, what if things don't go the way you expect it to go? Would you still remain faithful? That's what commitment is about. So Jesus is saying there is a cost for the commitment. So he's saying, what is the cost? If you want to come after me, love yourself. Is that what Jesus said? You must learn to love yourself first if you want to come after me. Is that what he said? What does the word say? If anyone wants to come after me, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The first and foremost condition to become a disciple of Jesus is to deny yourself. Is to deny myself and pick up your cross. I was going to wear a cross this morning and I forgot. Today wearing a cross is uh, it's a fashion. 2,000 years ago when people saw a man carrying a cross on the streets of Jerusalem, they know one thing. Every single one knows. That is one way ticket. If they saw a man carrying a cross, they know he's never coming back. He's dead. That's what it means. So when Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a true Christian, pick up your cross. Follow me. But before you pick up your cross, you deny yourself. See, one of the reasons why I don't like going on Facebook is that if you go on Facebook and you see some of the Christians' posts, is that it's all kind of self-preservation. Christianity is not self-preservation. If you want to become a Christian because you want to preserve yourself, forget it. Go and find Buddha or someone else. You can preserve yourself. Christianity is not self-preservation. Christianity is self-denial. Jesus said, deny yourself. And then what he said, and pick up your, your his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The only way to save our life is to lose it. Well, that's not what we've been told. That's not what we've been taught at school. That's not even what we've been taught in some churches. You save yourself. Think about yourself first. You are worth it. How many TV advertisements says to you every time you say, you are worth it. You are worth it. You are worth it. But what is Jesus is saying? Deny yourself. 
You must deny yourself first. You must, to pick, you must pick up your own cross. What does cross mean today to us? Death. I have to put myself on the cross every single day. From the time you wake up till you go to sleep, you kill yourself every single day. That's what Jesus is saying. Kill yourself. Not physically. Please don't go and do it. He's saying the self, when you come to the book of Revelation, the Bible says, and there was God and there was 24 thrones and therefore and there were 24 elders on the thrones and they all had crowns. When the angels start, started to worship, what did the elders do? The Bible says they got off their thrones and they took off their crowns and they threw, cast the crowns at the feet of Jesus and they fell face forward before Jesus and they said, holy, holy, holy. What are they doing? Getting off of their thrones. They are not interested in their own thrones. They are not interested in their own crowns. All that they are interested in is in the King of kings and the Lord of lords and worship him. How often do we find ourselves sitting on our thrones and with our crowns? We are not willing to carry our cross, but we are willing to sit on the throne. Jesus said, you will not sit on the throne unless you are willing to carry your cross. For somehow some Christians believe you can circumnavigate. You can take a shortcut, avoid the cross, go straight to the throne and get the crown and be seated with Christ. And their argument is what? Jesus already carried my cross and why should I carry my cross? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and carry his own cross. And Jesus was very, very clear. And therefore, when it comes to following Christ, it shouldn't be impulsive. It shouldn't be just a decision made on feelings. Sometimes people listen to this fiery preaching. They get excited. They get emotional. And they all put their hands up and they all want to become Christian. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity works by counting the cost. It involves our will. You, God has given us a mind. God has given us a will. God has given us a heart. God has given us thoughts. We need to involve all of them, and then we need to count the cost and make the decision and ask ourselves, am I able to do it? And Jesus gave us a good example of this. This is what Jesus said about counting the cost. Luke chapter 9 23 and 24. Pardon me, I'm a little bit slow to get there. This is what Jesus said in Luke 9. I'll start from 23. like I said. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever, how often? How often do we need to follow, uh, deny ourselves? Daily. How often do we have to carry our cross? Daily. 
when someone cuts you off, when you drive the car first thing in the morning, when you're driving in a busy, you need to kill yourself, not driving into the wall, into the back of another car. No, I mean yourself. Yourself rises up and is really angry. And I tell you, that's when I get really tested every morning when I'm behind the wheel. Myself comes out. You really want to show the true colors. And then you need to say, die, self, die. Let Christ live in you. When you get into an argument with your husband or wife and you want to prove that you are right, the other person is wrong. Die to yourself. Die. Let Christ be alive in you. I can clearly remember once when I had an argument with my beloved wife and I was so furious. I was, I've gone into the kitchen. I started washing up. I was fuming. I am right. Every single thing that I say is right. It is logical. I've got evidence. And I heard this tiny voice, and I heard God say to me, and he said, do you think I really care whether you're right or wrong? No. What do I want you to do? Husband, love your wife as... Christ loved the church. How does Jesus love the church? By dying for the church. When did Jesus die for the church? When he was perfect, wasn't that? Isn't that right? No. Jesus didn't die for a perfect church. Jesus died for an imperfect church. So husbands, how are we supposed to love our wives? even when they're imperfect. My wife tells me that she isn't. So, there is a death to ourselves. Being a Christian, following Christ, requires dying to ourselves. Let's not fall for false gospels saying that, oh, everything is going to be hunky-dory. You follow Christ and there is no cause. Jesus paid everything on the cross. All you do is just come for the ride. Just come for the ride. The ticket's been paid for. It's true. He's paid the price. But there is a journey. And the journey involves carrying the cross. And also Jesus said something else. I would like us to read this as well. Mark 10. Sorry, not Mark 10. Luke. Sorry, I'm just missing my scriptures now. I've just got excited now. Right. Mark Chapter 10, 17 to 22. I tell you what the story is to save time because we've got communion. We need to go. One day, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And what did Jesus say to him? You know the story. Help me out here. Jesus quoted the Ten Commandments. He said, go and keep the commandments. And what did he say? He said, Lord, I have kept all of this from my young age. And then Jesus turns around and said, no, you're wrong. You missed one. Did he say that? No. If you read, Jesus said, you lack one thing. Jesus said, you lack one thing. Jesus is saying, just you're missing one point, bro. He's saying, 
go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And what does the Bible say? He went away sad. And the Bible says Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him and he said to him, you miss one thing. And let me tell you what you need to do. Go and sell everything and give it to the poor. And then he went sad. Is that the best way to preach the gospel? If you and I were the advisors to Jesus, what would we be saying? Oh, come on, Jesus, don't do that. That's not the best practice. Do you realize this guy's rich, right? He's really, really rich, okay? And he's been good. You yourself have said that he's only missing one thing, which is what? He's got a lot of money, and he's not, he hasn't given to the poor. Why can't we just work this out, right? We can work this out. We can train him. We can bring him to the church, and we'll take him to the Bible study, and then we will give him the biblical tithing principles, how to tithe, how to offer, how to sow and reap, and we'll tell him, put the money into building fund. We need a building. He's a rich guy. Get his money, and we'll tell him, look, there are missionaries out there. We can use his money for the missionaries. We can do all sorts of things. Don't just spoil that, Jesus. Don't tell him the truth that he needs to sell everything, give it to the poor. That's his problem, his money. Don't tell him that. That's not the best way to win souls, is it? But Jesus thinks so. Jesus went to the root of the problem straight away. He didn't say, oh, come on. I didn't tell you something hard. Let's see. Let's, we can see work out something. Let's compromise something. Did Jesus go after him after that? No. Jesus let him go. There is a cost to follow Christ. I'm not saying that we have to give up all the money and everything, but I'm saying it involves carrying our cross, the thing that we love the most, the thing that sits on the throne in our hearts need to come off the throne. What is it that's sitting on the throne of your heart? If you want to find out what is the thing that you love most, see where you put your money and your time and your effort is. You'll find out exactly where your heart is. Jesus said where the heart is, that's where the treasure is. So Jesus said to this guy, my method of evangelism is telling you the truth. Go and sell everything. And there's another guy comes up. This guy is a scribe, right? You find that in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. And he knows the scripture. And he said, Master, let me follow you wherever you go. You know what Jesus says to him? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Pretty much what he's saying. If you come after me expecting any material goods, you're not going to get it. How many preachers do you hear that tell you that come to Christ, all you are heavy laden, come to me. Jesus said, I'll give you rest, and then misquote it and say, Jesus will fix all your problems. Why don't tell them the truth? You become a Christian, you'll be hated by everyone. You become a Christian, that you'll be called bigot. You become a Christian, you could lose your job. You become a Christian, that you could even die or go to prison. That's the cost. We live in a culture in a nation where we so cocoon, let me tell you, it's coming. Let me tell you, it's coming. Your commitment 
my commitment will be tested. It is on its way. So Jesus said it to Peter. I love this passage. John chapter 21, 15 to 19. This is after Jesus rose from death. John 21. 15 to 19. This is what Jesus said. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. You know, Peter said to Jesus before Jesus was betrayed that he will die for Jesus. But when his commitment came to test, he didn't keep his commitment. He chickened out. He swore and he said he didn't even know Jesus. He didn't even know who this guy was. Now Jesus died and rose from the death and he came to Peter and he said, Peter, it is cut to the chase. It's facing the truth. Do you love me? Peter said, of course I do love you. Jesus looks into his eyes and says, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, I do love you, Jesus. And Jesus asked him one more time. And this time, Peter has a flashback. He could remember what happened at the courts of the high priest. In front of the fire. In front of the servant girl. In front of the soldiers. Denying three times that he didn't know Jesus. And he breaks down and he says, Lord, you know that I love you, love you, and you know everything. What has happened this time at this point? Peter surrenders himself and his new honesty self. And he's saying, you know exactly what I mean. You know exactly what's in my heart. You know exactly who I am. There is nothing that I can hide from you. You know everything. And what would Jesus answer? He say, Peter... When you were young, you did whatever you want. But I tell you now, I'm going to prophesy over you. When you're older, things will be done to you, the things that you don't want to. You will die a painful death. Now follow me. There is no promises in saying, oh, glorious rosy road. I'll buy you a private jet. I'll buy you a five-bedroom house. I'll buy you a house with swimming pool. None of that. Jesus said, do you love me? Follow me. You're going to die. If Jesus comes to you tonight, if Jesus comes to me today, 
I say, do you love me? Will you die for me? That is the cause. That's what Jesus meant by saying, pick up your cross and follow me. And the thing is, Peter being Peter himself, if you read further on, and he says, well, what about him? He points at John and he said, okay, I'm going to die a painful death. What about him? And what was Jesus' answer? What is it to you? If I want him to live until I come, does it matter to you? Is it your business? We all do this. We all do this. Don't tell me you don't. When you go through hardship, when you go through pain, do you remember you turn to God and say, why me? Why I have to suffer? Why I have to face cancer? I have been faithful to you all my life. I have been obedient to you. I've done everything you asked me to do. Then why do you let me go through? Why do you take my child away? Why my mom and dad died? Why I lost my job? Why have I have to live with this pain all the time? And I look at the others. They cheat and they lie. They come to church. They've got no problems. Jesus answered, carry your own cross. Do you know, we all have different sides of cross. My cross is not the same as yours. Yours is not the same as mine. And ours is not the same as the next person. Our cross all differ from person to person. And the simple call to commitment is to carry the cross. In order to carry that cross, we must sit down and count the cause. Jesus said, if a man goes to war, and before he goes to war, if he doesn't sit down and count how much he soldiers, how much he needs resources to fight the war, and if without doing that, if he goes to battle, he will lose the battle. And also Jesus said, if a man sits down and he thinks he wants to build a tower, and he puts the foundation, and he starts building, and then he realizes that he hasn't got the money, he hasn't got the resources, he cannot complete the tower, then people will laugh at him because he hasn't counted the cost. Christianity is all about counting the cost to carry the cross till the end. And that's what Jesus did. Can we have the picture? Uh, my son came to me this morning and said, Dad, your pictures are quite graphic. There are children in the church, do you know? That's, uh, thank you. And the next one, that's the counting. The next one is the cross. Do you see that man on the floor there? Is that graphic? Is that too difficult for you to look at? Can we have the next one, please? Do you see that man carrying a cross? He didn't carry a nice little cross. Nicely planed and sandpapered and kind of shiny varnished cross that's smooth and with some sort soft form attached to it so that you don't feel the pressure. Do you know one other thing I was thinking this week about cross? If you carry a cross, the longer the journey, it becomes easy, doesn't it? Does it? The harder it becomes. Have you noticed the longer you've been Christian, the harder the journey is? Some people under false impression, false pretension. People just fall, fall, fall into this false thinking that, oh, the longer you're Christian, things are going to get easier. No, it doesn't. 
When you are a new Christian, every time when you prayed, God answered your prayer and gave you whatever you asked for. Remember that? I remember that. You pray, God giving it to you. But the older you become, you since your prayer doesn't seem to get answered. The road is getting tougher and tougher. The cross is getting heavier and heavier. The more you go, it's the more its pressure is on you. But the call is to follow. Jesus remained committed. Let me just quickly wind up. Let's go to the point of being committed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying. Mark 8, 31. Sorry, no, not that one, sorry. Um, Luke 22, 42. Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what Jesus was saying. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, the final moment of his life, is praying in the garden. And his flesh doesn't want to die. Don't we all have that problem? Our flesh doesn't like discomfort. Our flesh doesn't like pain. Our flesh doesn't like shame. Our flesh doesn't like humiliation. Our flesh doesn't like rejection. And Jesus knew all of that, and he's praying, and he's saying, Father, if it's possible, will you take this cup away from me? And then he's saying, but not my will, your will. So commitment means handing over your will into the will of the other. That's what commitment is. Jesus taking his free will, and he's saying to his father, you know what, Dad? You know, Father, I would like to choose this. But however, I give my choice to you. You choose it for me, will you? And whatever that is, I'll accept. You see, the comparison reverse the clock back all the way to the first garden, Eden. And there was the first man and woman. God gave them a choice. God said, choose. You choose. And Adam and Eve look at the choices. The choice is have life. Or the choice is decide. You be able to decide what is right and what is wrong. Look, and I believe personally, this is personally, this is, don't call me a heretic. This is personally, I believe the problem was not eating the actual fruit. It is beneath the surface. By eating the fruit, what they're saying to God is, I don't want you to tell me what is right and wrong. I want to be able to decide what is right and wrong. I don't want you to be the master of the, my destiny. I want to be the master of my destiny. Isn't that the problem today? We all want to be the masters of our own destiny. We don't want someone else to tell us what is right, what is wrong. So Adam decided that he will choose what is right and what is wrong. But Jesus chooses in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, you choose it, I'll accept it. That's what commitment is. 
that is the commitment that Christ has called us for. So following Christ is not for wimps. That's not for weaklings. That takes lots of guts. That takes courage. That takes courage to say, you know what? This is what I really like. But Lord, I give it to you. If you say that I have to die, I will die. I trust you that you've got good intentions. Even when it doesn't make sense to me, I will still trust you. Even when it's really, 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 really painful, I still trust you. You know, as parents, we've gone through this. I know, I can remember when, first time when we flew abroad and we had to make sure Ezra, Ezra had all the vaccinations. He was only a year old. We took him to the GP surgery, and the nurse said, we have to give him this injection to make sure that he's protected from malaria and all sorts of things. As a dad, I have to sit there and hold this tiny little baby in my hand. I made sure that I had a good grip on his hand, both hands and his legs. Everything is gripped tightly. While this strange woman stick this needle in his arm, in his tiny little brain, he's thinking, Dad, you are supposed to be protecting me. That's what dads do. You're supposed to be protecting me. But what are you doing? You are holding me tight so the strange woman sticks the needle in me. Sometimes dads have to do that. Moms have to do that. Why? For reasons that you do not understand. And that's what God does to us sometimes. When you go through pain, when I go through pain, when we suffer sickness, when we suffer rejection, when we suffer humiliation, when we suffer cancer, or whatever it may be, we have to trust. We have to commit ourselves. We have to give our will to God. You know, this morning, I don't preach this message as someone who has accomplished, who has traveled the road. I preach this as a fellow traveler. And I preach this message with great fear and trembling in my heart because I don't like it. I don't want this. When this happened to me, when this happened to my family, I don't like it. I don't want it. But we need to trust God. We need to commit God. When we commit God, when we put our wills and ourselves into God's hand and say, God, I trust you, even when I don't understand, even when it's dark. I want to finish this with this story. Could you just have the other slide as well, please? It's so dark. And I'm sure when Jesus died on the cross, it was so much more gruesome than that. And it's not nice to look at. But he knowingly, knowingly, he put his will into the hands of his father. Let me give you the story that I said I will share. In the 1800s, there was a famous French tightrope walk, walker, and he walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and he has done lots of different kind of walks on it, and then finally he got a wheelbarrow. If you know the story, I'm sorry about it, repeating. And he got the wheelbarrow, and he put a sack of potato in it, and then he walked on the tightrope across. And then when he got to the other side, he looked at the crowd and he said, do you think I can put someone in there? No, he said, do you think I could take Chris without falling before he did that to the other side? 
Everyone said, oh yeah, you are the greatest tightrope walker ever to live. Of course we do believe you that you can do. And then he said, then can I have a volunteer, please? Apparently nobody volunteered. Everyone had faith in him. But when he said, if you have faith, put that into practice. Get into the wheelbarrow. I'll take you on the tightrope walk across the Niagara waterfalls. Is that our faith is like with God? Sometimes faith is just intellectual. But that's not the kind of faith God wants us to have. God wants us to have a faith that trusts God even when it's dark, even when you don't see where you're going. And that's the call that God has for us. So, friends, my brothers and sisters, we have been called to be committed to Christ. And the commitment requires a cost. Without paying that cost, we will not be able to be committed. And in order to pay the cost, we have to sit down and count the cost and pick up our own crosses and follow him wherever he leads.